0: Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join special guest speaker Bernard Bradeen. We are about two and a half weeks into the season of Lent. Lent sounds like a spiritual word, but it really isn't. All it means is spring. We are in the season of Spring. Not so much in the season of the year, but from our perspective, in the season of the Christian year, we are in the season of Lent. That period of 40 weekdays from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. The purpose of the observation of Lent is to take some time to travel with Jesus as he walks towards his death. It's a time for repentance through self-examination and a time for renewal through identification with the journey of Jesus. And so what I propose to do this Sunday and the next is simply to walk with Jesus as he was on his earthly ministry and as he walked toward the cross. First of all, I would like to read from Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, you may turn to that passage. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. One of the marvels in the mystery of the person of Jesus is his attractiveness. I think it is safe to say, without any exception, that Jesus cast something of a spell on all of those who came into face-to-face contact with him. The people that he met in the earthly days of his ministry knew nothing about his deity. They saw only the man, Jesus, and they saw that there was something special about him that attracted them and that made them want to follow him. When we read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see how irresistibly the person of Jesus attracted people. There was something that drew them to him. Now, I'm not saying that people yielded to him or that people obeyed him, but they were attracted by him and they came to him. They somehow could not leave him alone. This same attraction exercises its spell on all of those who read the gospel narratives. The very attractiveness that drew drew people to Jesus in his own day also comes through in the reading of the scripture and has exactly the same effect on people today. Well, recognizing the fact of this spell, which he evidently cast on people of his own age and which he still casts on people today. We want to take some time to examine the nature of that attraction. Let us try to see Jesus the way the people of his day saw him in order to see what it was about him that irresistibly drew people to him during the days of his earthly ministry. The people who gathered about him in Galilee, in Judea, Perea, Nazareth, in Jerusalem, in the cities and the villages, in the large crowds assembled for the feast days, as well in the little groups of people that he met along the way. These people who looked at him, who listened to him, who became familiar with him over time, felt that here was a man who was fully alive, Here was a man who knew something that they didn't know. Here was a man who cared. And I think it is these qualities which seem to explain the the attractiveness of Jesus during those days of his earthly ministry. People saw Jesus as a man who was alive. Oh yes. uh, The people who saw him were also alive. However, it is evident from the impression that he produced on them, that somehow Jesus was living differently than they were. He was more alive. He seemed to have a secret that they were unaware of. One of the things that strikes the reader in the reading of the New Testament gospels is how frequently the word life is on the lips of Jesus. Over and over again, his reference to the word life was an answer to people who came and asked questions of him. People constantly broke in on his teaching to ask him questions. For example, a lawyer said to him, master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The young ruler came to him and said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And even the apostle Peter, in one of his outbursts of understanding said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Remember that these men, who asked him these questions, did not have the knowledge that we do. We know Jesus differently because we have the gospels and all of the other New Testament writings to tell us about him, they did not. These were the questions of men who saw another man. And in fact, they were saying, tell me how you live. You seem to know something that I don't, you have a secret. What am I missing? Now, the arresting thing about all of this, of course, is that Jesus lived apparently without possessing the things that we think go into making a full life. Those things that people thought were necessary for life, he lacked. He had none of them. He was without wealth. He was without possessions. He was without any position in society. He had no advantage, seemingly, over other people. Yet in spite of that, the impression that he left with people was that he was living a full life. A rich life, a glorious life, a satisfying life. And many people wanted that. Well, the rich young ruler He seemed to have all of the keys of life. He was a ruler among his people. He had money. His position gave him social and worldly advantages. Yet this one came to Jesus and asked, You have the secret of life. I don't. You are alive. I'm not. Will you please tell me the secret that you hold? Well, Obviously, Jesus, who walked in the fields and along the roads of Palestine, was a man who, in the view of others, was fully alive. And as they watched him and listened to him, they said, Here is a man who, even though he seems to be excluded from everything, who seems to be limited in so many ways, is a man who is really living. I wonder what his secret is. But well, when we think about Jesus in this way, I think that we are wrong sometimes when we speak about the poverty of Jesus. As though it's some, it is something that we should be sorry for. Jesus doesn't need our pity. He doesn't need our sorrow for the poverty that he experienced in his life in being materially poor. Yes, we read the words, foxes of holes and the birds of the air of nests, he said, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And often when we read those words, we read them with a touch of sorrow in our voice. I don't think Jesus had a touch of sorrow in his voice when he said those words. It was rather the declaration of a person who was independent, even of those very things that we think are necessary in order to live a full life. People looked at Jesus and saw that he was excluded from no realm of life in spite of what it seemed like. He lived and talked as someone who seemed to live in the inner sanctum of deity. As someone who didn't have a veil between himself and God. And he spoke of heavenly things. He spoke of angels as though he knew all about them. Said things that we don't understand, yet seemed to be commonplace in his experience. Well, when these people asked questions about life, you know that Jesus answered them. The lawyer asked, how am I going to live? And Jesus said, if you want my secret of life, this is it. Love God and love your neighbor. The young ruler said, what shall I do to live? And Jesus answered, follow me. Put your life under my control. Your life is simply too big for you to be able to manage it on your own. Peter speaking for the disciples said, to whom shall we go? You have the sayings of eternal life. And in the hearing of the disciples, Jesus gave the ultimate key to life. This is life, he said, age abiding life to know God. Yes, Jesus lived, and people rich and poor went after him and said, tell us the secret. And these questions abide today when we meet Jesus face to face in the gospel writings. Then, too, people who followed Jesus had the impression that he he knew things that they didn't. One day, the Pharisees sent officers to arrest Jesus when he was teaching in Jerusalem and to bring him to them. The officers were under orders, so off they went. By and by, they came back and they didn't have Jesus with them. And the ruler said, why didn't you bring him? And the officers replied, no man has ever spoken like this man they had forgotten all about arresting him. In fact, Jesus had arrested them by what he was saying. Matthew tells us that the people were astonished because Jesus taught them as someone who had authority. Now that in itself is not remarkable, but hear the end of the statement. Jesus taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. That's what makes his story remarkable. The scribes were the men who had authority, religious authority. But the multitude of people who heard Jesus said, this is not like the teaching that we have been used to all of our lives. We have had authority, dogmatic authority, but this is different. This seems to be ultimate authority. What was the nature of Jesus' authority that made it stand out? It was not a sense of authority that was created by anything that was a personal characteristic about him that they saw in his appearance. You know that artists have portrayed Jesus uh, down through the centuries and often in some of the old famous paintings, we have Jesus with a halo over his head. Well, that's just simply a technique that the artists used to express the quality that he had authority that others did not have. But those people who saw him in his earthly ministry saw no signs of official authority on his person. So where did his authority lie? It was the authority of truth. His words had, as J.B. Phillips would say, they had the ring of truth about them. The arresting fact to people was that anything that Jesus said could not be contradicted. Well, people were prejudiced and so became angry with him for what he said. And they rebelled against him. But in their conscience, they knew that they had to agree with him in spite of the fact that they didn't want her. Take any words that the gospel records that fell from the lips of Jesus. And the human spirit will always say, yes, that is so, that is the truth. The one criticism of Jesus that is reasonable is that his teaching, his ideals that he spoke about were not practicable. There's a story that someone once said, my quarrel with Christ is that he is unreasonable in what he said. Confucius said to his followers, be just to your enemies. I can do that. That's okay. Jesus said, love your enemies. I can't do that. That doesn't sound reasonable. And the person who was listening to this said, well, suppose that we could love our enemies. What then? And the person responded immediately, why then we would have no enemies. Yes, the greatness of Jesus teaching, not reasonable, but we have to admit that if we could follow it, we would solve our problems. Well, here was the marvel of Jesus. He taught and people were angry because what he said ran counter to their prejudices, to their desires. But inwardly, they knew that he was right. He spoke as one having authority. As Peter said. You have the words, the sayings of eternal life. And Jesus not only had this life but he had the interpretation of it. He told people exactly how he knew. He said, my teaching is not mine, but his that sent me. He claimed to be in direct communication with God. He gave people only the word of God. On one occasion, he said, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me." Jesus was differentiating between what we might term personal authority and eternal authority, the eternal authority of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. Jesus never said things like, I suppose it is reasonable to say, or in all probability, this might be the case. No, no such uncertainty on his part. When Jesus speaks, we know that he is speaking the wisdom of eternity and we have no appeal. People may be angry with him. They may not obey him. They may crucify him to keep him quiet. But as they do so, they know that what he said is the truth. Well, then too, people not only felt that Jesus lived and that he knew things, but they also felt that he cared, that he had compassion. There are many little stories in the gospel that indicate that this was a fact of his life. Luke informs us that once when he was in the town of Capernaum, a Roman soldier whose highly valued servant was on the point of death, asked the elders of the Jews to plead with Jesus to come and heal his servant. Well, Jesus was so impressed with the centurion's faith, faith in his authority, that he healed the servant from a distance. He didn't even go and see him, and he was healed. Luke goes on to tell us that soon after that healing in Capernaum, Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd followed him. And as they came to the edge of the town, they met a procession carrying a man who had died, the only son of a widowed mother. When Jesus saw the mother, he had compassion on her. He told the son to rise. The dead man sat up and spoke and Jesus gave him to his mother. Mark tells us that at one time, to escape the exhausting press of the crowds, Jesus retreated to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And it says, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. That woman was a Gentile. But in spite of that, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus was so impressed with her agony and with her faith that he could not remain hidden. And he healed her daughter. There are times that the scriptures tell us that Jesus did remain hidden when unbelief and the pride of ignorance were refusing his message and were a threat to him, seeking to do him harm. That's when he hid himself. But people in need irresistibly drew him. We've been emphasizing the fact that he attracted people. But we must also say that people attracted him. He could not let people alone. And that ultimately is the meaning of the incarnation. God could not abandon the sinning world. It brought him out of heaven. He cared. He had compassion and people knew that he cared because he felt all of the agony of the woman of Nain. He also felt the pain of two other women, Mary and Martha of Bethany, who had just buried their brother Lazarus. And this is, is, I, is, I think, a supreme illustration of the sympathy and compassion of Jesus because Jesus was so moved by the pain of the women, that we read, he wept. He wept with them. Now, suppose that I came to you in the presence of your dead and found you in agony and tears. And suppose that I knew that in a little while I would give you your dead back to you. I'd raise him from the dead. I don't think I could weep. I might smirk, (laughs) but I don't think I could weep. Because my personality is far too coarse for that. But Jesus wept. He wept in keen sympathy from the sorrow of his heart. And people knew that he cared because of that. So here we have something of the sense of the glory and the beauty of the character of Jesus. To see Jesus as the people in his day saw him is to see someone who had the secret of life. To be assured that he is speaking the word of truth. And to pass under the keen sympathy of his heart. And so, like many who walked with him, as I become more acquainted with him, I desire to be like him. And I want to follow him. He's someone who has the secret of life. He's someone that I want to get to know better. But it is just at that point that I become conscious of my own unlikeness and my own inability to be what he is. His life and character are glory and perfection. My life is not that I cannot be that. And so I am filled with fear. The fear that is always generated when people see the glory and the beauty of Christ of God. Well, Christ recognizes that fear in us. For he says to the multitudes and to his disciples. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In effect, he says, if you desire to come after me, you must recognize that you are not what I am. That you must deny self. You are to see yourself at your wit's end if you are coming after me. Well, these words reveal the striking difference between Jesus Christ and all others. Because he was supremely the one who denied himself. As Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, that was the whole story of his human life. And therefore, he says to men and women, if you will come after me. You must do what I have done. You must deny yourself. This very spell that Jesus casts on men then is a revelation of two things. A a revelation of the malady, the illness that affects humanity. And also the proclamation of the only way by which that illness can be cured. What is the malady? Well, it is revealed in the spell that Christ casts. The profound secret of the life that lived to the full, that knew the truth, that was filled with consolation. The profound secret is that he denied himself. As that great passage in Philippians states, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Being obedient how we fight against it from childhood, all the way on up. It is the one thing that we struggle so much with and against. Yet this is the great thing that is revealed. That is a perfection of Jesus. The whole story of his life as a man is a story of obedience to the one central will, the will of God. No person can control himself. We were not created to run by our own design. We must be under the control of the God from whom we came. The attempt at self-control is our malady. And where we see our malady, there also is revealed a cure. Let man deny himself to deny is to disown to abdicate to put self off the throne completely to deny self is to make room for God. It is to believe God. It is to hand the keys over to God. It is to confess our weakness, our inability and to wait for God. the words concerning Jesus, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There was no need for a cross in the life of the one who was always self emptied. So why the cross? Well, the cross created the way for us to deny self. For us, Who had been self-centered, self-governant, governed, governed, and therefore self-ruined. It was for us. The cross is the place where where we receive life as a gift of grace. At the cross of Christ, we confess that we cannot lift ourselves or save ourselves. We cannot take ourselves out of the depths to which we have fallen and we take all that is provided for us in the cross as his gift to us. That's why the cross is unpopular. It denies man. It tells man, you can't save yourself. It's impossible, it's nonsense. But that is why the cross is powerful because having ruined himself, it can restore that which has been ruined. Christ comes with his cross, and he says to us, "You can be made new, but you must begin here by the way of the cross. Taking your life from God as a gift is a gift of His infinite compassion and His infinite grace. And that is where we begin to deny ourselves. Not by taking up our own little crosses that we have to bear. No one takes up his own cross in order to save himself. From the cross of Jesus Christ. Which is outside of ourselves. In the mysterious transaction of which we have no part. There comes to us the great gift of life. And power. And healing. And so it is a gift of life a gift of love that keeps us forever sensible to our own weakness. It is a gift of power that keeps us forever sensible to our own need from something outside of ourselves. And it is a gift having received which we shall walk every step of the way with our sense of dependence upon God. There's a simple hymn that we sing that puts it a little more simply. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you by way of your invitation. We come to your throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And we confess that we are always needy. We are to abide in your heart. We are to follow your example of denying self and being obedient. And it is our prayer this morning, as we come to the cross and lay our hands on it, that you will remake us, that you will fill us with your love and your goodness, and that as a result, we will know that your hand is upon us to the glory of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.